Hey everybody, thank you for tuning in to the Ladies Promoting Transparent Advocacy Podcast. I am your podcast host, Jay Pate. <clears throat> Excuse me. Today is the third part of our series discussing the documentary called Smoke. You know, Eric Parker and Nas, who is actually physical in the documentary, he starts it off. You'll see him at the beginning. And he's talking about what he grew up with and how it has um, impacted America and in the hip hop game particularly. But the documentary, as I've been saying, the previous episodes has nothing to do with smoking cannabis. It's about economics in uh, black people or no, just people of color, period, not just black people. So I need to make that clear, but um, how they're not getting a part of the financial pot. And 81% of those benefiting are Caucasians. So I want to start off with the legislation hypocrisy. And there is a uh, a part of it where former Republican House Speaker John Boehner is talking. And he went from being against it and on the fight for the war on drugs to being a part of an organization that is making millions. So check this out. Banner is on record when he was a congressman saying that there's no value in marijuana. He would never support legalizing marijuana. People's opinion on this issue have evolved. And I felt myself, like any other American, my position evolving over the years. Uh, but I've never really thought much about it until Kevin and I began conversations uh, you know, four or five, six months ago. And I thought to myself, you know, this might be something that I could lend my voice to that makes sense. He retires, and now he becomes a board member of one of the companies that's making money off of cannabis. Have things moved as quickly as you thought they would? Things are moving a lot faster. I think 2019 is going to be a, a year of consolidation. Uh, a lot of mergers taking place, um, and we believe, and others are starting to believe, that bigger is better in this industry. It's clear that uh, this market is going to expand. Uh, And as it does, lawmakers in Washington uh, have to look up and realize that the federal government is way out of step. Uh, It's time for the federal government to get out of the way. His tune has now changed, and now he's trying to legalize marijuana more widely. What about the hundreds of thousands of people that put in jail for selling uh, marijuana over even years, certainly during your tenure, and the millions who got arrested for possession? I mean, it was part of uh, my evolution because I got into the criminal justice reform movement and began to to see we've got all these jails uh, full of people because they either used some or they had some small possession of it. It really, it's just... It's not a wise use of our society's money. And that John Boehner didn't change his mind because of new evidence or anything like that. He changed his mind because of money, because of greed. Because when you ask him about all of the people that went to jail because of this, all of the people who caught hell because of this, he says some stupid like he wasn't even aware of the criminal justice thing. And so that kind of thing uh, just makes you want to choke him. You know, now that you have the people who have been in Congress for years and years and years go out and they now are, are, are making money off of an industry that is generating great profit, you got to ask them, how is it that you all of a sudden have, have changed your mind? Is it because now you're getting paid? Well, that's what everybody else was trying to do, get paid. Coming up next... 
I prosecuted marijuana cases in my career. I was an assistant state's attorney for 12 years. Um, the majority of that time as in juvenile, as a supervisor in juvenile. Um, and at the time that I was doing it, again, my mandate was, you know, enforce the law. Most of the people that I prosecuted were young black teenagers, mostly boys. And, you know, I have an older brother who's 13 months older than me who smoked marijuana in high school and was fortunate to not have been arrested for it. I felt like a, a hypocrite. I felt like a hypocrite. I, I felt like I was put into this role as an assistant state's attorney to bring safety and fairness to our communities. And in the exercise of doing prosecution of these low-level marijuana offenses, I felt like I was doing harm. Um, of justice, and we need to make sure that this war on drugs, uh, which has so disproportionately impacted African American and, and Latino communities and individuals, that it stop and that we provide for now a second chance and restorative justice. We hear the negative part in the financial benefit of the politicians like John Boehner, but let's listen to, as I mentioned, um, these ladies out of the state of Illinois and how they changed the entire system. Legalized recreational marijuana cleared the Senate with a bipartisan vote of 38 to 17. The real reason for legalizing cannabis is justice. There were lots of people who said, you know, uh, oh, great, we're going to raise a lot of revenue doing it. That was not my reason. I wanted to make sure that we had not only a system where we legalized, but also where we corrected for the injustice. There were a group of uh, four women in particular, uh, they like to refer to themselves as the marijuana moms, who worked on this for several years. So this is the picture that first got dubbed the marijuana moms. That's my sister, Jahan Gordon Booth state rep from Peoria, and this is state representative Kelly Cassidy, and this is state senator Heather Staines. They were the chief sponsors of the legislation, and I could not be prouder of my crew, because when we went in to fight, we went in to fight. So when you think about the hundreds of thousands and millions of people across this country who have suffered the effects decade after decade after decade of targeted practices that targeted people, for the use and consumption of this product that is the same across all demographics. But the horrible and incendiary effects of the usage as it relates to the criminal justice system is borne by only a few demographics in, in, in person. And those are African-Americans, Latino people in this country. Understanding where we came from is what informs how we're supposed to go forward. So four moms got together traveling and talking and debating and learning we had to ask other legislators like what do you wish you'd been able to do and it's been fascinating to hear people contact us now and say we wish we had thought about the equity part we wish we had thought about how to get folks into the business because it is very very difficult for folks who understand the criminal justice system to see all white people making millions and millions of dollars on the things that destroyed our whole communities. So Illinois plays a fascinating role in this conversation. In 2012, both Colorado and Washington State legalized recreational, and that was huge. 
we moved toward the midterm elections in 2014, and that's when we saw Alaska, Oregon, and Washington, D.C. go full recreational. And then you fast forward to the next presidential election. Cannabis legalization is stepping up in its role as a secondary and even primary issue for some voters. We saw the election of President Donald Trump, but we also saw recreational legalization in Massachusetts. And that meant recreational had hit the East Coast, Maine, Michigan, Nevada, California, Illinois, and Vermont. And that doesn't even count the medical states. Much has been made about the amount of minority participation at the management and ownership level, and for good reason, because they were left out of the equation in large part because of the immense barriers to entry. Uh, even applying for these licenses back in the day, it was immensely expensive, and now it's millions of dollars. Along comes Illinois in 2019, and they get to take the best of all worlds. The legislators and activists standing with me today have heard you. We've heard you on the campaign trail and in our offices, in town hall meetings and in our courts. We've heard you say that the time for change has long since passed. The bill to make Illinois the 11th state to legalize recreational marijuana, the measure also includes the pardons of people with past convictions for small amounts of possession. It's estimated that legalization could bring nearly $60 million in general revenue for the state through licensing fees, and there'd be a special program to help more minorities to get into the industry. We will never be able to fully remedy the depth of the damage that's been done. But today, here in Illinois, we can govern with the courage to right the wrongs of the past. Being able to give back to people their lives by getting rid of the arrest records, I'm very proud to be a leader in that. I just recently signed the pardon of more than 11,000 people in our state. You know, I want to say bravo before I play this clip from what they call the marijuana moms. These four moms are legislatures and they're local legislatures, which is, again, the reason why I tell you voting locally matters. They convinced their Democratic governor, J.B. Pritzker, to change the law so that the inmates that were convicted of selling marijuana now that marijuana is legal in their state, um, would be released from prison, and he did it. He freed over 11,000 inmates that were convicted of, um, I guess, selling marijuana that weren't violent criminals. I'm guessing if that was involved, that would be different. But this is one of the things I was saying a lot of states should be doing now because if it's legal, is, I mean, <laughs> like they're saying, the whole point of this is the equity that is um, involved in this. You got all these people, Caucasians, 81% of the marijuana legally sold is by, 80, 81% is a lot, by um, Caucasians and businesses and industries and stock. And I mean, they're making the killing and we have people in jail for selling marijuana trying to uh, provide for their families, and a lot of them didn't have any other way because of uh, maybe felony records and other reasons. Plus, we know there's systematic racism in corporate America. So, you know, I'm really glad to see this. And it's really heart 
I mean, it's really heartfelt when you hear Kim Fox, she's the state attorney, talking about um, how emotional it was for her to call these names of these 11,000 people. You know, and Kim Fox, I went and did a little bit of research on her as the state's attorney. She actually manages the nation, the nation's second largest prosecutor's office, which is pretty big. Um, that's big. And that's out of Illinois. That ain't Chicago or California or Texas. But um, she that's that's you got to give her bravos for that. She uh, manages 15, 1,500 employees and 800 attorneys. I just wanted to give that shout out to Kim Fox. But she's really emotional. You know, if you remember the name, she was the one that was criticized for letting Jesse Smollett off for the uh, hate crime charges. So um, if you heard that name, that's where you probably heard it from. But she was emotional. And I, I, I want to play what she says as she's reading off these 11,000 names. When I went into court in December, the moment that I read the first name in court, uh, I honestly got a lump in my throat and was trying to keep my decorum because I wanted to cry. I didn't know that man. Um, I, I probably will never meet him. I don't know his story or how he got there. And as I read his name and then went to the next name and listened to what those names were, and I was overwhelmed by the fact that I knew names like that from the neighborhood. I knew names like that from my family. I knew names like that from the courthouse. And that I, as a prosecutor, was going in not to punish them, um, but to give them something back is probably the biggest highlight of my career so far. We sat in that room and watched her read each name. So the clerk would come in and hand the file to the chief judge, and then the state's attorney would read the name, and the chief judge would read the expungement language for each of those names 100 times with moments and breath in between each name. And when you think about When you think about for decades and decades, the, the way the people looked in those courtrooms, who were those prosecutors? Who were those state's attorneys? Who were those clerks? Who were those judges that read dozens and dozens of names into a record to give people convictions that they would live with for the rest of their lives for lots of times nonviolent activity? And I watched an African-American state's attorney look at an African-American chief judge and I was holding hands with the governor and my, the other bill sponsor Kelly next to me knowing that I was an African-American state senator that helped draft that this is important work and everybody has a role to play this just happened to be mine I want you guys to check out this amazing woman named Wanda James. Her and her husband literally were the first African-Americans in the country to get a license for a dispensary in Colorado. She talks about the illegal raid on her store. That's actually the first thing she talks about in this documentary. Um, but thank God she has some powerful friends 
governors, senators, and she used to work for President Obama, Barack Obama. So that's pretty powerful. And the twist in her story is that her younger brother was caught with cannabis and was convicted to a 10-year sentence. I think she said it was worth $160. And now, you know, she has a, her and her husband has a dispensary. And now her brother who got let out after six years is working for her. Isn't that irony? She uh, is grateful that he is in the industry and he seems to be doing very well. So I want you to hear Wanda James' story. And I also... Even though this is Wonderful Women Wednesday and we are focusing on the amazing women, I want you to hear Miss James' brother's story because I think it will give you a different um, thought process of how people who have been convicted of small crimes re regarding cannabis think differently when they're in the industry on the business side. Check out her, her story. Next on Smoke. February of 2010, we were raided. Both of us are vets, uh, former Navy, former Marine. Our background was perfect to be able to stand up and say, no more, we're not going to jail anymore for simple possession. Fortunately or unfortunately, that's how you have to do business in America when you're black. Smoke, marijuana and black America. My name is Wanda James, and this is my husband, Scott Dura, and we are the owners of Simply Pure Colorado, and we are the first African-Americans legally licensed in America to sell cannabis. So the main reason that Scott and I are involved in cannabis is in 2008, I came off of Barack Obama's National Finance Committee, and I was also the campaign manager for Congressman Jared Polis, who is now Governor Jared Polis here in Colorado. Colorado was going to be the very first state to legalize. And from that, we wanted to be able to put a black face on the cannabis industry because what we knew was that prior to 2008, 800,000 people a year were arrested for simple possession. And of that 800,000, 85% were black and brown uh, people between the ages of 17 and 24, mostly boys. For us, that had impacted our life because my brother was one of those 800,000 people that was arrested for cannabis possession. His sentence was 10 years. An 18-year-old kid, a black kid, was given a 10-year sentence for $160 worth of, of street cannabis. Of that 10 years, four years was spent in a maximum security prison picking cotton. A hundred pounds of cotton every day for four years is what my black brother had to do in Texas. That to me is slave labor. And when I found out that a member of my family was a slave for 10 years, we had to make a difference. And so Scott and I at that time decided that it was time for us to put a face on this, to talk about this politically, economically, and most importantly, from a social justice standpoint. The absurdity that I think people really need to understand what's happening here is America needs slave labor. Since the dawn of America, since it began, we have had a slave labor class. You know, we also knew that, you know, being entrepreneurs in other industries, restaurants, et cetera, that, you know, this is going to be a huge industry. And what we wanted to make sure is not only were we capturing the social equity portion, but that that also created opportunities in a billion dollar industry. The challenges in opening up a dispensary back in 2008 were, were many. What was at the forefront for us was the idea that we could have lost our freedom behind this. And being the first and only black people involved at the time, Colorado, Denver specifically, 
had arrested 34% of black people for simple possession. Uh, NAACP came out in favor of legalization because of that number. In Colorado, we make up less than 3% of the population. <laughs> in cannabis, it was me and Scott, period, <laughs> as far as people of color. So in February of 2010, we were raided. Ironically, we were doing an interview with the Westward and my phone kept ringing and I ignored it. And after it rang about 20 times, I finally picked up the phone and it was the Adams County Sheriff's Department that said, we need to tell you what we just did. We just raided your facility. Scott was a well-known chef. Um, we've been in the press many times. So we knew that America wasn't going to be able to turn around and say, ah, look at the criminals doing this. Also, both of us are vets, uh, former Navy, former Marine. Our background was perfect to be able to stand up and say, no more. We're not going to jail anymore for simple possession. A prominent Denver couple active in the restaurant and political communities is at the center of what could be a precedent-setting medical marijuana case. They are under investigation after police found this hundreds of marijuana plants growing in a suburban business park. They came in with four SUVs, four cops deep, guns blazing, broke down the window, broke down the door, came charging in in Kevlar suits. Um, and the cop told us on the phone the reason why they raided us was because there was suspicious gang activity at the area. The gang activity at the time was my 45-year-old husband and my 40-year-old brother, and they were black in Colorado, so therefore that constituted gang activity. In looking at that, it was terrifying because if it wasn't for our political contacts, at the time I had three um, U.S. senators on speed dial, two of them in Colorado, the newly elected congressman whose race that we just ran with him. Um, we had to call all of these contacts to be able to protect ourselves and to protect our freedom and to protect our business. Welcome being black in America. I mean, I grew up in Boston, you know. I mean, we were shocked, but at some point as well, we knew we had nothing to worry about because we didn't do anything wrong. We had the books in place. We had a number of plans. And the cops were just hoping, were just hoping that we didn't have um, our ducks in a row. What they found out, not only did we have our ducks in a row, we had our geese in the row, we had our mules in the row, we had all of the things in a row. Um, and fortunately or unfortunately, that's how you have to do business in America when you're black. I want you to hear the expertise from Wanda James' brother. This is the guy that was sentenced to 10 years who is now working for his sister. My name is Derek Barnes. Um, everyone knows me by Rick. I am Wanda James' younger brother. At 17, uh, me and some of my friends were hanging out, smoking, uh, kicking it, and I was busted for four ounces of marijuana. Um, I ended up doing six years on a 10-year sentence for possession of marijuana. Uh, right now, I am the assistant uh, manager of the Med Grow. What that entails is that I oversee the plants, making sure all the plants are healthy. Working in the grow, man, is a beautiful thing. Um, I've never known it until I got the opportunity to work in it. It's a peaceful, it's a zen. For me, it's cool to watch the plants grow and produce what they produce for us. My job for the last decade has been to normalize cannabis, and I do that a lot. I mean, I, I talk about it openly. I openly talk about um, our use and consumption of cannabis. Um, I openly wear uh, cannabis on my heart and on my neck. Look, I'm a professional. I work with the governor. I work with presidents. I work with U.S. senators, um, and cannabis is my choice. I would rather have a joint than have a glass of wine, and that idea 
is being normalized more and more and more and more. So as we close out this three-part episode, I hope you guys start thinking about not just the marijuana industry, but other industries where people of color are being left out. Social um, economic inequality is real. And one thing I learned about working from home over the last couple of months with the virus going on is that a lot of people are more creative than they thought they were. I see a lot of people who started their own businesses from home, some of them because they didn't have an option and some of them because they just wanted to fulfill their dreams. So I just want you guys to continue to think about ways that you can improve your own wealth. And you don't have to be in an industry where you use products such as this uh, episode of marijuana. You don't have to be a smoker to want to benefit just like everybody else. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode because I sure did. And like I said, I had no clue that this was even coming on television and I'm glad I did get up and record the audio. I apologize for any distortion, as I always say, engineering with these waves and MP3s and stuff that I had no clue about. I'm learning though, it's very challenging. It's not a press uh, record and pause situation. You're actually putting together clips because each, uh, Stop and start is a whole new audio track of waves. So anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed it. And you know, I always say, if you have any questions, give me a call at 404-855-7723. And you can always send us an email at podcasthostshapetay19 at gmail.com. I ask that you follow us on Twitter at Advocacy Ladies. That's capital A as in Advocacy and capital L as in Ladies. And definitely follow us on Podbean and all the places you can get your podcast app, including Google Play, Apple iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, and Alexa TuneIn. So, you know, I like to end all my episodes with the question, what do you have to say? Thank you for listening.